Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. I am so excited about this episode. I know you guys hear me say that every time. But truly, I, w- I wouldn't record with guys if I wasn't really excited to talk with them and share what they have to share and bring it to you. So, guys, uh, you may jot down the email if you want to or, or hit me up on Facebook. So if you guys got comments about this episode, shoot them to me. The email address is the Christian dad podcast at gmail.com or shoot me a, a PM on Facebook. So as we always do, we always start out with some type of testimonial, some type of encouragement. I'm going to flip the script on this one. And instead of uh, reading a testimonial that came in on Apple Podcasts for this show, I'm actually going to give a, a little testimonial for a group, an organization out there called F3. So F3 stands for Fitness, Fellowship, and Faith. And it's been an organization, you guys have heard me talk about it on the podcast in the past, that has just helped me understand you know, where guys are coming from, what needs they have. And then also gives me ways to share leadership tips. Uh, so I learned quite a bit through F3. So uh, <laughs> I'm just thankful uh, that it's around. Uh, there's a website out there called F3Nation.com. And you can find locations all over the United States and around the world. And as of today, maybe Indonesia or something may have been on the map. I don't know, but all over the place. So guys, if you're looking for uh anything to do with fitness, fellowship, friends, faith, and uh, if you like a little leadership thrown in, that's what this whole thing is all about, is helping guys uh, grow uh, small leadership groups all across the world. So guys, check out f3nation.com, and uh, it's really, really cool. And today, we actually have the founder, the original founder with us. So David Redding, or I'll probably refer to him as Dread for the rest of the time. Dread, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you, brother. Honored to be here. Man, we're so excited to have you. So it's funny. I was pulling a bunch of guys around St. Louis, F3 guys, and I said, hey, Dred's coming on the show. What questions have you got for him? And so we've been around a little bit over five years here in St. Louis. So a lot of the guys are new, you know, within the last week, within the last two years, for sure. We've had explosive growth the last couple of years. And so guess what their mo- most common question was? I'm going to say is, why do I always call guys from St. Louis a billiken? <laughs> that was not the most common question, but but eh. uh, lo- <laughs> love how you know uh, little St. Louis uh, tidbits like that. So that's awesome. So the most common question I expected something to do with leadership, something to do with why why are we uh, doing this Iron Packs thing and questions within fitness or whatever. Yeah. And it said the most common question was a different version of uh, an intro question I often ask. I often ask, hey, you know, tell me your story. How'd you get here? Some version of that. And instead they replied back simply, and this will help keep you humble. <laughs> Who's dread? <laughs> That's a pretty open-ended question too, as a lawyer would say. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, uh, special forces, attorney, 
Um, he's written books, uh, multiple podcasts, uh, 43 feet in the minivan centurion, super funny podcast. Love that one. Thank you. So with that, you know, answer whichever question, tell me, tell me your story. How'd you get to where you are today? Or the other question, who's dread? (laughs) Well, yeah, sure. That's, uh, like to say, you know, you got the law of one, you should be able to got one minute on the elevator to tell a guy about F3 or whatever, uh, or one hour or one weekend or one month or one year, it all should expand out kind of like a expand file. Right. But it's all should be consistent. So, uh, I, I like to be able to tell people who I am. And I like to ask people questions. I'm a lawyer, my day job to try to get down to who they are, figure it out. So, um, I'll start kind of in the direction that I think that, um, is most important. So I don't work, believe in work-life balance. I think that's what we call an Oprah bomb. You know, it sounds good, but it's of no real use uh, in your life. I believe in prioritizing. So the most important thing about me is my wife is the woman I married 23 years ago, uh, whose name is Marjorie. We have three daughters, 20 years old, uh, 18 years old, and 16 years old. I am part of a group of men in Charlotte, North Carolina, what we call the New Jerusalem, uh, that is dedicated to F3. I meet with them quite a bit, work out with them, hold each other accountable. There's several men uh, in Charlotte, and actually outside of Charlotte now too, though I don't love to do it this way, that uh, I whetstone is which F3's mentorship program I meet with on a at least monthly basis to try to help them accelerate their lives. And then finally, and least importantly, I'm an attorney, commercial litigator here in Charlotte. I've been here about 20 years, been practicing law about 25 years. I've got a nine, eight, eight lawyer law firm, free paralegal, so 11 people. It's been around for about 15 years. And we, uh, we litigate commercial disputes. And uh, other than that, that would be your one minute thing. Um, Everything else kind of builds on that in some particular way. So the next two branches, I guess, would say, if you say, well, you know, what's your worldview? I would say I'm a Christian liberal. No adjectives, no pronouns, no excuses, no apologies, right? Uh, I believe that the tomb was empty when uh, Mary and friends came after the resurrection. And I believe that was a radical notion that changed the world. Everything else is easy after that. In other words, if you believe the tomb was empty, then you should have no trouble believing that Jesus did such a small thing for turning water to wine, right? So I'm also a liberal, uh, which means that I believe in the foundational principles of America that are set forth in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. We have certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and all governance arises from that. That was another radical notion. So that would be kind of the next layer of who I would say I am. Uh, I believe in principles, not in rules. I think rules and meetings and signs are a sign of in any organization of failed leadership. I believe that if an organization is missional and the leaders have made clear the mission to the members of the organization uh, and are constantly about reinforcing the mission, that you don't need rules. And you don't need signs and you don't need uh, constant meetings. Uh, so I like to be a part of organizations that are like that. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that F3 has turned out to be that kind of organization. F3 is an organization 
of leaders rather than an organization with leaders. And uh, I'm proud of the fact that this organization that I was blessed enough to be a part of when it first started here in Charlotte 11 years ago has now had uh, an impact that's resounding uh, really throughout the world. So it's actually Thailand we started the other day. Thailand, there we go. Thailand. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it really is, has been a phenomenal amount of impact. And that traces back, at least for me personally, because I'm a fairly recent uh, believer, follower of Christ, uh, Halloween of 2007, and began searching for a way to have impact uh, as a Christian man. And uh, it led me to men's workout groups because I'm a former soldier. And that led to, to this, at least that's my part of it. So to see that come to fruition has been, has been a wonderful blessing in my life. So I guess that would be the two minute. There you go. Sure that's great. Yeah, that's great. So what, what happened in 2007? Uh, well, I got down on my knees and finally surrendered every last shred of myself uh, to, to Jesus Christ on Halloween night. How? How? Yeah. In the simplest way possible. I did exactly what I did. I said, I'd been, uh, I'd had about three years before that, I'd had a moment of an epiphany, I think I guess would be the religious word for the uh, theological word for it, like a realization that Christ was real, that he was alive, that everything I'd ever kind of fringy learned about Christianity was true, that the Bible was literally true, and that the life I'd been living outside of Christ was not the life that God called me forth to. And that, I guess in that moment, I became a believer. But it took me three years to get from that moment to the moment where I said, okay, now I'm just going to surrender everything. Up, up until that point, it was just like stages of really grief first, because uh, in the moment that I fully believed, in the next moment, like the next moment was full, was fear, because I had to look back at my life and say, well, gee whiz, I know that this life I've led it does not conform with the life I'm called to. And I don't, I was 43 years old or 40, 40 years old, I guess. I, I don't think I can do it. You know, I, I don't think I can not, it was okay before because I didn't believe, you know, I was like, okay, well, Christians say you got to do this or Christians, whatever they say, but it's not true. So who cares? But when I believed, now I was confronted with that and I didn't really understand the path forward. So it was, it was pretty bad there for a while. Uh, you know, this is what makes me a terrible evangelist, which is, you know, if you came to me, well, I'm doing it right now and said, well, what do I, what happens if I, I, I believe in Jesus? I'm like, well, I can't tell you what happens to you. But I can tell you what happens to me <laughs> is I spent a lot of time crying uh, and a lot of time in, in, in pain. And I actually heard this sermon one time. I went to, somebody asked me to go to a church and it uh, happened to be a black church for it's odd. I don't go to black churches that often, but when I, it happened to be this one time I did and the pastor got up there and he talked for 45 minutes about crying. And he's a very masculine guy. Been a, I think he'd been in a gang or something. He had like this giant uh, tattoo on his neck of like a musical note or something. I, I, didn't, I don't know what that meant, but he talked about crying. And I went up to him after and I said, let me ask you, man, this thing about crying, were you being sincere? Is that kind of metaphorical or whatever? And he goes, no, no, I cried, I cried, I cried and cried. And I said, I've had the same experience. And he goes, were you a bad man before you came to Christ? I said, I was a very bad man. And he said, that's, that's, that's the Lord ringing dirty water out. <laughs> 
how long it lasts is a factor of how much dirty water you got in there. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it was a perfect, it was perfect for me. You know, it helped me put in perspective all, you know, that three years in between the, the moment of belief and the moment of surrender. You know, I'd love to say at the moment of belief, my life immediately changed for the good, it's just, but that's just not true. You know, at the moment of belief, it was more of a first day of a, I guess, a journey, which did not end, obviously, on Halloween of 2007, just altered slightly. And that journey I, I'm still on, I would say, and I suppose scripturally, it would be that that journey does not fully end until uh, he returns, which yes. now I'm able to accept because I've been surrounded by more mature believers who have educated me and, and discipled me and helped me to understand this. Wow. Wow. There's so, so, so much there. So that last little bit, you're like community of believers around me that are helping me grow. So like, yeah, man. guys, you hear me say that all the time, community, community, community. It's who you hang out with. Change your people if you're looking to elevate or if you've got those people around and step into them, uh, whatever. Anyway, that side note, you guys hear me talk about that all the time. We've only talked a couple of times about grief. So you would think become a believer, everything's, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs or whatever. Right. But no, you mentioned grief. So dying to your previous self, having to realize that, right. hey, all that stuff's gone. I think that's a pretty common experience that a lot of guys have. Oh, good. Because now you rationalize, I've got to give up this, this, and this, and I can't do that. Right. You may even go as far as to say, I can't have any fun anymore. I can't be masculine anymore. I can't right. do any of this cool stuff anymore because that's not what those Christians do. Right, right. right. <laughs> I'm still struggling a little bit with that. Like we were talking about before we got on, which is how do you live in the world but not be of the world? Uh, it would be, I mean, I, I succumbed to the temptation three years or four years ago to withdraw. And uh, it was, I had a, I, I was, I would, I'd gone to bed and I'd been, I'd been fasting and I'd lost some weight and I was feeling very uh, close to God. And I, and I don't usually pray. I very, I pray in the morning, but I got in bed and I prayed and I asked God to remove every last vestige of sinful behavior from my life. You know, every, all those, you know, things you're like struggling with and asking for forgiveness. I said, just take it all away. And uh, shortly after I went to sleep, I had a very vivid dream of something being removed from me. Like it was like this great whooshing feeling. And, and, I, and I woke up. Uh, it, it actually felt like if you've ever done this or anybody's ever done this, jumping out of an airplane. Because when you jump out of an airplane, some military aircraft while on flight, there's just, you're in a jet stream and it's like oh, it's noisy aircraft engines and you're like this because that's how you're trained. And you would go like that to check your parachute. And then there's dead silence. It's, it's really bizarre feeling, particularly at night. And your chute, if your chute's open, which mine thankfully always was, you're drifting slowly and, and just feeling like you're alone. So I had this feeling, I woke up, uh, but right before that, so I had this feeling of being like jumping on an airplane. And then in my room, you didn't think I was going down this path, but it just kind of quit. I felt a palpable presence of evil, like satanic evil, slowly drifting away, like dissolving. Wow. So I woke up after this whooshing feeling, and then, I, and then there's this dissipation of evil. 
And it reminded me of the moment you jump out of an airplane and then the airplane's going and it's becoming less loud and suddenly it's peace. So in this moment in my bedroom, I was in complete and utter peace. And I, what I think happened, what I believe happened is that the Lord answered my prayer and he had yanked a demon out of me that I didn't know was there. That's what I believe because I had this feeling, right? So after that, I mean, I was just incredibly peaceful. You know, I do a, I have a contentious job, you know, and I'm involved in a lot of things in my community. And suddenly I just found myself not battling people and I make a great effort not to speak, you know, use words that I think the Lord would not be pleased by. But, you know, if you're nine years in the army and better, you know, suddenly it's easy to do that and uh, not bad. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, a, that's a massive shift right there. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. But here's the problem. The, you know, the problem is I started to, to separate my, it wasn't enough that I, it was one thing I was peaceful and I felt like I'd been alleviated of a demon, but I became very reluctant to engage with anybody about anything. You know, I mean, I found myself not interceding into things and not like avoiding confrontation. Now, my job is to resolve conflict. So that's not good necessarily. I started to question whether or not I could continue as, as a lawyer. And um, I had, um, if you're in a law firm, you know, you have partners or whatever. I mean, it's funny how the, you have to, you have a year end kind of battle about how you're going to divide profits and all that stuff. And I didn't really participate in that battle. And uh, of course, you know, your wife is not happy if you don't fight for the family. Anyway, this has been going on for months. And my wife makes an appointment with me. She said, I'm going to come to your office and I want to talk to you about something. And she came. It was, I thought that was interesting. But she says, you are not fighting for the family. You're not fighting for the family. This, and I said, yeah, but, and I told her about this experience. And she goes, I'm really happy that you had that experience. And I appreciate how peaceful you've been with me. But you're becoming so passive that I'm afraid you're leaving us unprotected. You have to continue to fight. Because this is just the world we, we live in. And you're going to have to find a way to be this a, a man of Christ, not of the world, but recognize that you're still upright and in the flesh and you have to fight because we're in the, you're in the world and there's people that depend upon you to fight for them. And if you won't do that, then you just need to go move into a monastery and, and brew beer or whatever monks do. I mean, that was pretty con confrontational, right? I mean, and because here I was thinking, you know, I'm a, I was, in, what I think of this is, my period of life of being in that place above. That's what I refer to it now when looking back, that place above. It's a place that doesn't exist. I mean, we've got heaven and earth and, and you know, I believe also a place that's neither, you know, that we don't want to go to. Uh, but there's no place you get to carve out as a man on earth that's an interim, like heaven right. on earth, right? Right, right. right? Because we're fallen. And the Lord provided me uh, with the skills to fight and protect my family, be an asset to my community, and to fight to hold the middle of the nation. He provided me with the ability to articulate, to understand concepts. And that's why I'm a trial lawyer. I tried a case last week and I fought for my client hard, hard. And it was exhausting. And at the end, when I'm closing, I'm talking to the jury and I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is what I 
This is what you should do. This is justice. Now go into that deliberation room and bring forth justice. You know, I, for a period of time when I was at that place above, I was incapable of doing that. <laughs> well, I guess I was unwilling to do it because I thought that somehow, you know, that there is a place that I could occupy where I wasn't in the world, you know? And uh, I, I guess I had to have, this is why I say to a lot of guys, you know, when I talk about wives, whatever, what's a good wife? I'll say, you know, Proverbs 31, I'll give you a good description of, of what I guess Solomon thought a good wife was. And uh, those things are very good. I don't think it really says this, but here's one thing a, a, a good wife will do is she will bring you back to the mean. Men have a, men have a tendency, I believe, I know I do, to be extreme in one thing or another. When I was a bad man, I was a very bad man. Then when I became a good, and I'm putting that in quotes because I don't believe there's any such thing, but when I became a man who was seeking to be holy and to eradicate, you know, the vestiges of sin, I went too far the other way. And so when I was a bad man, my wife, I, I mean, I came to Christ because I couldn't be a good husband and father and be the man I was. So because of my wife, I became, she, she because of her, I became a Christian. I, I, I turned to Christ. That's what it was. God was trying to mess with the world. She didn't, didn't evangelize me or disciple me. She just made it impossible for me. She gave me a clear choice. You can be married or you can be the man you are, but you can't be both. She gave me a, she gave me a, a, a binary choice. And to be married, I, I, did, I, I, I tried everything else. So I tried Christ. I guess that's the way I put it. And that yeah. so because she, my wife was not willing to compromise that because of that, I, that led, put me on a journey to become a believer. Now, here I am at the other end, compromising the family to be a better, what I thought to be a better Christian. And she would not allow me to do that either. She, she said, you know, you can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's so funny how you you talked to me earlier about writing another book. That's what I'm writing about now. That's yeah. what's on my head, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I call uh, I'm calling it uh, Dusty or Stan Dusty because I went to church and I heard my pastor give this great sermon about Jacob wrestling. And of course, Jacob, uh, Jacob the liar, right, comes back from Ur, you know, with his two wives. And uh, is afraid of Esau and um, is getting ready to cross back into Israel. He knows he's going to confront his brother, whose blessing he uh, stole. And he knows his brother is a, a violent man and he fears him. Uh, and he's going back. He feels like he has to go back. He's led to go back and he has this, you know, the dream of the ladder and all that stuff. But he spends the night wrestling with a Christ figure. So it's a Christophany, you know, like a, a Old Testament hearkening of, of of the Lord spends the night wrestling and, and is not overcome. But at the end, the angel or the Lord, how do you choose to view that touches his hip socket and gives him a limp, but it says, you know, because you have, you know, because you wrestle with man and God, you know, you are now a man of God, right? You are changed. You are now Israel, right? But this is a real guy. I mean, if you read the story of Jacob, he's, he's a, he does some pretty shady stuff. He's fighting in the world. But it turns out that the, the, the Greek word for wrestling is essentially dusty, staying dusty. You know, 
you, you're, you're just going to have to fight, you know? I mean, there, there's, or I guess go live with like in a scene, you know, with the Dead Sea Scrolls or something. I mean, you're going to have to stay in the fight as a man. And not only are you going to have to do that, the, that is what I, I believe the Lord wants to do as men. That's why he gave us testosterone and commitment and courage and strength. That's why he formed us this way. It's got to be for something. You know, if you wanted me to wander around in a monastery wearing a, wearing a, you know, a flowing silk gown or whatever they wear, I'm not trying to confront Catholic. You might be a Catholic. I'm not trying to pick on Catholic. It's just, you know, the the monastic life, separating oneself from the dirt of the world. I get the temptation and I was, I succumbed to it, but that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to stay in the fight. I believe. believe. Yes. That's That's what I've been writing about. Yeah. And you talk about the three dots. Three dots, exactly. Thank you. That's flattering. I'm honored that you read that. But the three dots that that I believe that that comprise what a man is. I know that you know if you look at a sonogram, and if it's three lines, it's a uh, female, uh, a little girl, baby girl. If it's three dots, it's a little baby boy. And those three dots mean something. I don't happen to have any sons, but those three dots mean something. And we're charged with an obligation as men to, I believe love and protect our family, be an asset in the community and fight the whole middle of the nation. And, you know, that intertwines with it because if I, if I won't join the fight, be in the line to hold the middle of the nation, the nation succumbs. And, you know, I, you could make a pretty good argument that we're, you know, we're on, in dicey times right now. It's happened before in America. We fought a civil war in this nation. I, I believe in America and if God wants it to be so, it'll be so. And I believe that's what he wants. I'm not worried, but I'm concerned about the, the plight of America. So staying in the fight in the middle, fighting for what I would call liberalism, right? That the, the, what makes America, America, that's reflected in both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, that that is a fight that we must fight. Absent that, no America, the communities that comprise America will cease to exist. They'll become dark and dangerous places ruled by the strongest and most ruthless men amongst us. That, that's what it would be like. And in those communities, those dark and dangerous places ruled by the strongest amongst us who are unlikely to be virtuous men, families will be at risk. It'll be impossible to love and protect your family. And that is not a future I think anybody would hold, would want, right? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So if you could accomplish anything in your lifetime, what, what, might, would, what might would that be for you? Oh, well, I feel like I've accomplished anything everything I would want to have accomplished. I mean, I have a a vibrant marriage. I have three healthy and happy children. Uh, I've managed to be a ethical and skilled lawyer. I've built a law firm and I've been on the ground floor of the founding of an organization that I believe has impacted the nation in a positive way. First my community, then the nation, maybe farther than that. I mean, I'm really tempted now to engage in what I call a self-effacing parenthetical, you know, which is to say, gee whiz, you know, blind hog, blah, 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 you know. And, and I, this is something I encourage men not to do because if, what is it, is it C.S. Lewis who said? I think it's C.S. Lewis said. It's like humility is thinking not less of yourself, but of yourself less, right? If the Lord is, has granted you a, a talent, something that he wishes you to use for the betterment of, of, the, of his creation, and to help them grow closer to him, who are you to, to decline to use it? I mean, there's an actual, there's a parable in the Bible about that, bearing, the, bearing one's talent 
rather than have it produce income and gain is a sin. So who are you to do so? So I think closer related to that would be to say, well, you know, I was just standing there. I didn't do anything. You know, I mean, I did do these things. I don't think I did them because I created myself. I'm not, you know, a Descartian and think I thought myself into existence. I mean, I am a, a created being. The Lord formed me for his particular purposes out of dust, made me different than you and gave me different gifts than anybody else. But I'm to use those gifts for his kingdom. So I believe I've done so. And I hope I've pleased him with what I've done. If it's over, because my days are numbered, as, as are the hairs on my head, which are declining in number on every given day as I approach 60. If that is so, then I'm fully satisfied by what I've done in this world. If there's more for me to do, then I just hope and pray that I'm able to do it in a way that pleases the Lord. Outside of that, I don't really have any concerns or goals or objectives, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So what keeps you pressing on? I don't know. Uh, I think there's more work to do. I'm pleased and joyful to be a part of it. I don't, I'm always surprised still now after 25 years when the phone rings and somebody says, I need a lawyer. I said, okay, well, I'm a lawyer. So I'll, I'll be your lawyer. I'm surprised, gratified, and joyful that my children, although they're, you know, teenage girls, older, you know, they're 16 through 20, still call me, text me, ask me. They want me around. Joyful and gratified about that. Joyful and gratified that I have uh, men in this community who wish to meet with me so that I can help them. Joyful and gratified about that. Joyful and gratified and honored that you have me on your podcast. So I guess continuing in that vein, is really all I need. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've got your daughters, 16 through 20. What type things allowed you to stay connected with them where they still want you involved in their life? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've been talking about a lot of guys about this lately. I um, I had a, every once in a while, I don't know um, if other men feel this way. I have a moment where I think, man, did I not push my children enough from a faith standpoint, you know, so Halloween 2007 is, is 15 years ago. My oldest child was five. My children were young. You know, at the time I was going to church, but, you know, after that, you know, my adherence to the, what I would call the, the ligaments that join us together and help us grow in faith together, you know, were strong. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't miss church if I'm in town. You know, I pray all the, all the time, I pray at least every, you know, once a day. And I've always spoken openly to my children about faith, but I didn't, you know, when they reached a certain point in their teens where they were distracted, I didn't make them go to church, nor did I say, you're going to go to Young Life. Or, you know, when I took them and dropped them off at college, I didn't say, let's go find a Christian group for you to join. I, I I've not ever done any of those things. Um, what I've done is try to live a godly life and always be honest about what I believe and honest about what I don't believe. I don't judge my children. I hope I don't judge anybody else, but I do observe and criticize. And I have not been afraid to share those criticisms with my children when I was afraid that they were doing things that were outside the protective grace of the Lord because those things are going to harm them. But, you know, you can show a man a wheel, but it's up to him whether he's going to use it or try to make his own. Right. So I don't, I just, I'm not, I'm not that kind of leader anyway. So I hope that. I've done the right thing. What makes me believe I have is they continue to want to be with me. You know, so I had a little thing on Twitter today. Somebody asked about, what's her name? 
uh, Lizzo. Lizzo? Lizzo, yes. Yeah, yeah. She I guess she was new. I didn't there. realize it. She's a new, she played a flute or something. But uh, I know who Lizzo is because one of my girls was like to listen to her music. And, you know, I said on Twitter, like, oh, yeah, I know that music because when the girls get in the car, starting about, you know, when they're 12 or whatever, I let them choose the music, you know. And uh, I did that so they would get in the car with me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd, I've done a lot of things so they would be with me. You know, I haven't tried to enforce you know, uh, like when I was driving a bunch of, I would always volunteer. If they said we need to ride somewhere, I would always volunteer because what I found that if I was driving someplace with my girls, they would kind of forget I was there and start having a very honest conversation. Or maybe they didn't forget I was there and they wanted to say what they felt and say it in front of somebody and see what happened. I don't know. But I, I would just ask questions. You know, why do you th- think that way? Or why do you feel that way? Or what do you think that means? Or and they would answer those questions, you know, if it was volunteer to be a coach of a team, coached a lot of soccer, which I've never played to be around when they're little. I did that when I got older and had a little rec league basketball teams. I would volunteer to coach those because they, I was around them. Right. And they would talk and I would get to talk with them back. And um, I'm not sure that was ever like a conscious strategy other than to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in pro- capital P proximity, physical proximity. And, uh, I think proximity is so important that I'm willing to trade personal comfort or something for more proximity. You know, so I've, last three weekends, I've gone to Raleigh, which is a couple hours away from Charlotte. Uh, Greenville, North Carolina was about four hours away. And last weekend, Athens, Georgia, about three and a half to be with my daughters in college in various ways and in various things. I'm like, I will go where they are and be with them on their terms. And what that gets me is to be with them, right? And I can, so I can't affect them or enjoy them or if I'm not around them. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I love the love the car car ride uh, part. I read read a book called Untangled, and in it it says often it's not the car ride to the place. Mm. You want to be the one that brings them home from the place. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. Is when you bring them home. Right. That's when they're chattery and talking yeah. about stuff, and right. they're less anxious about where they're going to. They just experience something together, and then they right. start sharing. And you get to be the observer, yeah. and interject if you want or don't interject. But uh, again, you were curious right. when you did interject and weren't telling or directing. It was yeah. just ex- being experiential with them. Right. As you were talking, it made me think. Last night, I was uh, assistant coach of the softball team. And different girls were running up and, yeah. you know, kind of punching me a little bit and tell me like what happened during the week or they went right. on vacation and some little girl, little four-year-old comes running up. Hey coach, Hey coach. And, I'm like, <laughs> and then this other little girl that I don't really even know, she comes running up and I'm like, this is so cool to be oh, with them, gosh. to well, be in the of, dugout instead of the stands. You remind me of something that happened very recently. So my youngest daughter is now, playing JV soccer. And I was driving her home from a, driving her home from a game in another town. And she said, can so-and-so have a ride too? And I said, of course she jumps in the car. And uh, it happened to be a girl that I had coached soccer in soccer 10 years ago, a little more than that. And uh, I, rec- I, I recognized her name and I said, do you remember being on the soccer team? And she said, Oh, well, of course I do. And I said, Oh, well, I'm glad, you know, it was a long time ago. And she said, you know, you did something that I hated you for. I haven't seen this girl since she was uh, 
seven and now she's 17 or 18. And uh, I said, what was that? And she said, you made me play. Um, you made me play goalie. And I didn't want to do it. And I cried and you made me do it anyway. <laughs> that. But it does sound like something I would do. So I said, oh, well, I'm sorry that you hated me for that. She goes, well, it's one of the best things anybody ever did because it worked out fine. And I realized that, you know, I was afraid of nothing. And uh, you, had, you had confidence in me to do it. I must have said something like, goalie's very important. And you're just a girl. <laughs> and uh, so, it, you know, and I, that, and I said, well, I'm really glad. And now what do you, and she's playing varsity soccer at, a, you know, our high school has got 5,000 games biggest or second wow. in the whole state. So for her to make the varsity soccer team is pretty significant. I'm not saying that I, anything I did for her because I don't even know how to play soccer. I would, you know, I played basketball in high school. So I would, my way of coaching soccer was to basically think basketball, but you can't touch the ball with your hand. You know, so as you spread out, spread out, yeah. pass the ball a lot. I didn't teach her any skills, but apparently something I did to encourage her had an impact and, uh, it brings together you saying like driving somebody home and she told me that. And then I thought, wow, you know, these little things you did as a man. And I, you know, this is, uh, you probably know if you've been listening to podcasts is a huge theme of mine that, and this is actually the F3 problem we saw I, that we hope to solve was dormant male community leadership. Men are incredibly important, not only in our own families, but in the community. And this trend we have of men, refusing to be men, declining to be men, or having been convinced there's something wrong with being a man. Who benefits from that? Certainly not the people around us. You know, it, it's like if you pull the teeth out of the sheepdog's mouth, it's the wolf that benefits from that, right? I mean, we are the ones in the community who are the guardians and the shepherds and the sheepdogs. We're supposed to fight. And if you take us out, well, the sheep are unprotected. Someone or some entity benefits from that, but it ain't the people around us. And it, you asked me before, brother, if there was one thing I, well, you asked me if I want to accomplish something. If there was a point I, I want to get across, if I die and the only thing anybody ever remembers was that was the guy that encouraged men not to surrender, encouraged men to be invigorated and to lead and to be instruments of justice and righteousness and protect their families. If that's all they can remember, then, I mean, I guess that I did what I was supposed to do because that's on my heart all the time. I mean, that's what I, that drives me. Absolutely. So the guys, that, that is the F3 organization right there. That's the thread that runs through it. Uh, it's not technically uh, a faith-based organization other than you believe in something outside of yourself. Well, However, there's a whole, at least in my experience in the St. Louis area, there's a whole lot of Christian themes throughout the whole thing. Yeah, that is, it, oh, I get passionate about that. Well, yeah. That, that I mean, so passivity, that. being passive and letting things happen. And right. it's like, no, we can affect change. We can be right. leaders of change. We can, when nobody else is going to coach the softball team or the soccer team. And you didn't say, <clears throat> I never played soccer. I don't even know anything about that. Right. Instead, you said, yeah, right. I'll take it. Right. They, so I got, you know, so I called that somebody. The When I was a platoon leader in the Army, my first boss was a guy from West Memphis, uh, Mississippi, and very different than me in every single way you can imagine. But he was a great leader. 
and he always would say, um, we were in headquarters, headquarters company, and somebody would say, so whatever it was, like some criticism, somebody was like, or somebody else was doing something he didn't like, he'd say, who's the commander of headquarters, headquarters company? And the guy would say, oh, he'd say, I am that somebody. That's what he would always put, I am that somebody. I picked that phrase up, that somebody. You need to be that somebody. That somebody. Who, who says that somebody? So you're in a situation where there is no male community leadership. You can be that somebody. You must be that somebody. You know, if you're in a church and it's just become passive and soft and pastors just giving, you know, sermons about trees. I, I mean, you can be the guy who sits in the front row and says, well, what about, you know, the what about this? It says, you know, something that Jesus really said. Right. You know, like the Olivet Discourses. I mean, I, you know, I, I tweeted out one day is that, you know, I never hear a pastor preach on the Olivet Discourses because they're hard. Right. It's like, you know. They're, you know, he's prophesizing the, the destruction of Israel and how hard it's going to be. And, you know, pregnant women, hope you're not pregnant. I hope it's not winter because you won't get across the river. I mean, no one, I never hear a pastor talk about the Olivet Discourses. But it's a, it's, I think it's in all three synoptics. And it's a big, big chunk of gospel, right? That Sunday, my pastor reads that tweet. And in the midst of his sermon, jams in it. Oh my goodness. And I went up to him afterwards and I was like, I wasn't called, I wasn't subtweeting you. I was just, I mean, I happened to be reading the Olivet Discourses. I was reading Mark and I happened to hit that. And uh, it just occurred to me that I'd never heard anybody preach about the desolation. Of, what is it? The desolation of, I forget, it's describing the Antichrist. I'd never heard anybody say it. And uh, he, he did it. And I, this is the impact you can have as a man. When a guy asks me, why do you always say you have to go to church or whatever? I'm like, he goes, I don't like my church because parking's bad or, you know, the pastor's not. I'm like, you're not going to church for you, brother. There's three reasons why a man needs to go to church every Sunday. Reason number one is he needs to set an example for his children. They will, if they see you as a man of faith, go to church every Sunday. That's part of what you do. It's what you do. I think statistics just bear this out. That, you know, uh, a, a kid brought up in a household that has nobody going to church, it's like 10% they're going to be a believer. The mother goes to church like 20 or 30. Father goes to church 85, 90%. Have you listened to the intro to my podcast? Oh, do you say something like that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is on the intro episode. Okay. Like That yeah. is the <laughs> reason it says guys have to, uh, you know, be spiritual leaders of their household. Yeah. I'm like, turn the page. Let's talk about the next chapter. Right. And then that statistic hit me across the head and i was about to have kids and i went okay i gotta take a breath here and yeah. i've got to accept the fact that i've got to go down this road i can be a leader in every other area of my life however if i don't lead my kids to heaven i'm worthless right. if i okay i i accept it i've got to be the spiritual leader because of that statistic it's it yeah i can't remember when i read or where i read it but when i it's one of those statistics you read and you're like well i really didn't need a harvard guy to tell me that I mean, it's, it's just, it's, we know that's men, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. However, if something right. doesn't smack you upside the head and make you realize it, right. it's so I'll, easy I'll, to shirk your responsibility and take the easy path. Sure. I'll one of my blades say, well, you know, I've been listening to Tim Keller podcast, same as church. I'm like, no, it ain't. And amidst the COVID, I was like insistent. Uh, you know, we got to have church. Well, we're having virtual church. I ain't church. You got to sit next to the guy next to you. 
bad breath and whatever. You got, it's part of it. As a man, you got to sit there. Number one, that's the number one reason a man goes to church. So he, he, he transfers the positive habit of faith to his children. And that one little thing, well, how do I do it? Oh, just go, just go. Uh, and it'll work. Number two, the second reason is because it holds the pastor accountable. And, uh, you know, I, that, that little tweet is illustrative of that. My pastor is an F3 guy, great pastor, preaches the gospel, you know, but even he, I think, needs to have men in the pews who are sitting there nodding when he's preaching the gospel. And when he starts preaching about trees, going, no, Jesus was not like a tree. I mean, I get it that it's a soft and comforting thing to say. Uh, no offense to, you know, my former Episcopalian, you know, I used to be the world's worst Episcopalian, now I'm the world's worst Presbyterian, but that was a very common thing in my Episcopal church, the church I was attending when I came to Christ, was to, was to, meta, to draw metaphors in the Bible that are not in there. And I know that's what pastors do. I mean, that, that's what I do as a lawyer. But if you're constantly saying Jesus is like this pretty tree, Jesus is, was, was and is a living being. He was not a thing of beauty or, or casting shade. And all he was all those things, but so much more. That part of it is, is almost immaterial. And we're not, we haven't gotten to the point I always contended in my former church that we know the scripture so well and we're so well versed in it that we can now start talking about Jesus being like a tree. Yet every week it seemed to me, Jesus is like a tree. It was like the dawn or something like that. No. He was a was the savior, was the Messiah, man, flesh, into whom God was born. And he walked the earth and he died for our sins in great agony. I mean, and along the way, he said some things that we are supposed to obey and go forth, having learned those things in the obedience, baptize all nations in, in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go forth in them because he's with us to the very end of this age. We're commissioned to do that. It's not a matter of going, gee whiz, this all feels good, and Jesus is your boyfriend. That You can't find that in the Bible because it's not in there. Those are interpretations that have become softened up because people are like, oh, this confronts me. It's supposed to confront you. I mean, he said he did not come here to bring peace to the earth but a sword. That's what he said. If you thought, right, it's Matthew 10, 34. If you thought that he came to bring peace, he did not. He became, came to bring a disruptive force. These are the parts that don't get preached, to divide fathers from children and husbands from what. You know, and, and not be, not for bad reasons, because that he wasn't saying I'm here to disrupt it in that way. He was saying, because what I am doing is going to cause that. And you need to be ready for that. And you will be attacked in my name. You know, one disciple doesn't make it to the to the crucifixion. The other 11 all die violent deaths. The one who doesn't die a violent death is still burned in oil and, you know, isolated on an island to write the scariest book of the Bible. Right. So it's. It isn't supposed to be easy. And if the pastor gets up in front of the congregation and starts pre preaching about peace all the time, then we're not charged. We're not made ready. What I like about my pastor is as you come in here, you get equipped and you go out there to perform the act, which in his last words, the disciples Christ said we're supposed to do. It's missional in that sense. So that's the second reason. First reason is to set the habit for your own children. Second reason is to hold the pastor accountable. Like all leaders need accountability. And the third reason is if you go, you will find. If you say to yourself, I go to church every Sunday, regardless of how I feel. And you wake up on that, that morning, you feel like, I don't want to go. 
you know, I had a rough week or whatever your reason is, you don't feel like going and you go, you will inevitably encounter some man who feels less like being there than you. Some other man that you can minister to right there. Because I hear guys talking all the time. Well, I want to be, you know, I want to minister. I'll help other men. I'm like, I don't know where they are. Well, they're at church. You know, I mean, they're going there in pain. And they need they, they need another man who, in, at least in the moment, is marginally stronger in, in that moment. And then for you, when you have that day, I mean, it's happened to me many times. And I've dragged in there and somebody will come up to me and say, I don't know, brother. I'm sitting behind you. Something seems off. You're okay. And then I get the choice to be able to say, oh, no, everything's good. Or the truth, which is, yeah, man, I'm feeling low. Why? Did this happen, that happened. Or I don't know why. One guy says, hey, can I say a quick prayer with you? Yeah. Father God, don't know what's up with dread. Please reach in his heart. Help him out. So we go forward and do what you have us to do. In the name of someone, pray. Amen. Boom. Move out. 30 seconds. Move out. Charged up. Ready to go. Take on the world. Right? Those are the three reasons. And no, I did not say because I have a good child clinic or, you know, because I got, you know, I love the band. What, what, you know, I hear guys complaining about the, about the worship. I'm like, just sing the songs. Right? They're helping somebody else if you don't like them. I don't like to sing a terrible voice. I mean, just, just sing the songs. You know, they're not, they're not playing them for you. You're playing them for God. You're singing to God. Get that, right? You know, that, that's, what, that's what church is for. Sorry, you just soapboxed me. I, I no, soap- no, no. Preach on. Okay. Preach I mean, on. You're, talking about, what, you're talking about having a horrible voice and singing. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. right, right. That's right. That's and right. It's so, not for us. It's for God. God loves to hear people sing. That's right. He calls forth his. I feel like we men of God. We believers have been called forth, consecrated, set apart, commissioned, right? Commissioned, which is to be given a duty. Like I was, a, so, I was an officer in the army, I had a commission, a sacred commission to, to fight and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign, domestic. I understood that perfectly. And it was easy for me to go forth on days, say, well, what am I supposed to do here? Well, if I can't think of anything else, how about I support and defend the Constitution today, right? And I'm still doing it now, uh, some 40 years after. Really that long? Not quite 40 years after I was commissioned. Same with Christianity. The Great Commission tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. You know, uh, we talk, and as lawyers, we always talk about the power of recency, like the last thing you say. That's why you want to argue last to the jury. Last thing you say, they're going to remember. It's a high degree of likelihood of that. The last thing Jesus said, right? He's standing there with his disciples. They're all messed up about, you know, the crucifixion, scared, running you know, up there fishing, Peter receding, right? Peter receding like I did, receding from the world, you know, licking his wounds because in that very moment he was put to the test. He failed just as Jesus told him he would do. He'd be sifted. But we said, when you turn back, when you repent, strengthen your brothers, completely set up for that. Said, look, feed my ship, sheep, love my sheep. That whole thing he went through and said, now look, men, all, and this is 29, Verse 7, 16, right? Yeah. All power on earth and in heaven has been granted to me, Jesus says. I have all the power, right? It's been granted. It's about to, you know, he's, he's about to disappear and says, go, go. Not sit here, not go in the man- mon- monastery, not stay up in, in, in Galilee fishing. Go. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Where's your mission, right? Make disciples of all nations, right? Turn them into followers of Christ as I in turn have done for you. Do what I've done for you. I spent three years teaching it. Go, go forth, make disciples of all nations, right? 
baptize them in the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. You know, that's your triune God, right? And teach them everything. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. To me, that's a pretty simple instruction. Uh, I don't get to pick and choose and look at the Bible and say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know what? That hurts somebody's feelings. Like, I don't have to like it. I just have to understand it. There's much of it I don't like. I, I want to be, you know, oh, well, let's not enforce that particular rule. Or let's not, let's not follow that particular thing. I want to do that. But I, I, he didn't say, go, you know, uh, and teach and obey all the things that you like. Or all the things yeah. you, like Thomas Jefferson, cut out the parts of the Bible you think that an enlightened man would not need. No, the whole kit and caboodle. See, I get that. I'm not that smart a guy. I got to keep it real simple, right? And surely I will be with you all to the end of this age. In my experience, I can testify to that the point where I finally gave it over to him, he surely has been with me. And that's been only been 15 years. So for 15 years, uh, he has been with me. And although there have been moments where I did not like what was happening, there's not a moment where I didn't believe he was with me. That's my, that's my testimony. That, that's the truth I, to which I would testify. Again, that, that's not very good evangelism because somebody would hear that. Oh, I, just, I need some healing. I need some Gilead. I'm like, yeah, you'll get that too. You'll get that too. But that, that shouldn't be the, if that's the first thing you're after, I think you need to go talk to somebody else. Hey guys, that was awesome. Excited. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for listening to the beginning of this one. So this one, we're closing out episode one or part one, and we'll move into part two uh, on the next one. So we always close out with a challenge. And this week's challenge is a little bit different. Uh, as you heard me and Dread talking about uh, who's influenced our life, obviously God, but then also uh, people of this world. And who are those people in your life? Who are the five closest people? Who are the 10 closest people to you? Are they people that help you succeed? Are they people that push you? Are they people that pull you down? Are they people that you learn from? Or are they people that uh, slow you down in life? So my challenge for you this week, as you think about it, is think through who your people are in life. Who do you want to spend more time with? Who do you want to spend less time with? Uh, what kind of time do you want to spend with them? And with that, if you're thinking to yourself, you don't really have the greatest plan coming into the year. If you're realizing that you're going solo and don't really have a great group of advisors around you, you're not meeting with people intentionally that are helping you move towards your goals, that are holding you accountable or holding you capable of what you're capable of. If you're wanting to do something big, if you're wanting to do something that's important, but not urgent. So if it's been on your mind for a while, whatever those things are, and you keep thinking, I'll do them tomorrow. And then you have that thought again and you think, eh, I don't have to do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. And if these are the things that can dramatically improve the quality of your life and the quality of those around you, consider coming up with a plan to do things different in 2023 and then consider a way to actually follow through with the thoughts that you have. So one of those ways that's helped me over time is a group of guys that come together weekly and you go over what you're working towards. You tell them when you're going to do certain things by, you measure things, you pay attention to it, and then you 
you know, let people know when you didn't accomplish what you said you're going to do or didn't do what you said you're going to do. Uh, key indicators, measurements, um, predictors of future success, all these type things. So I found when I've got other men around that know where I'm going, know what I'm doing, I tend to show up and I tend to accomplish what I say I'm going to accomplish. I do my part. So if you're like if you're like that and you're one of those guys and you realize having other men in your life help help you along as a team instead of you doing the day-to-day daily drift just getting through and getting by instead you're looking to thrive instead of merely survive for those guys that are wanting to thrive find a find a tribe find a group find a person to change that we do have a group here that starts January 9th. It's called The Ascent. And instead of just merely doing the day-to-day, putting one foot in front of the other, instead we're looking up. We're looking at our big vision. We're looking at our three- to five-year goals. And then we're chunking that down into 12-week time period where we can look out at a short enough distance that we can kind of see the finish line. And we've got to stay focused on those goals, stay focused on the task necessary to accomplish those goals, the key indicators, the key activities. So if you're looking for a group, if you're looking for some guys, we've got uh, a great bunch that's that's coming through with us. We're only going to accept up to 12, 12 men. So if you're one of those men that would like to be considered, uh, email me at the Christian Dad Podcast the Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's the Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com. Or just shoot me a PM on Facebook and I'll shoot you over my Calendly link and uh, we can schedule a 15 minute call and see if it's something that would be worthwhile for you or if it fits your schedule or if you'd be a good fit for the group. So, again, the weekly challenge is find some people to bring into your life, find some guys that you can bring into your life that would be good advisors that'll hold you capable of what you're capable of, uh, working towards your vision, working towards doing the important things, but not the urgent things. So we tend to focus on the unimportant but urgent, and instead we need to focus on important but not urgent things. So if you want more clarification on any of that, hit me up, shoot me a PM, uh, email me at the Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com. Glad to get you more info. Uh, Schedule a 15-minute call with you to run through that. Um, Anyway, that's the challenge. Evaluate who you're going to spend your time with in 2023 that's going to help push you, help hold you capable towards achieving what you want to accomplish, not only in 2023, but especially the first 12 weeks. Getting started with momentum is a big, big deal. If you want some help with vision or any of that type stuff, hit me up. Love to hear your thoughts. That's the challenge for the week, and we will hear from you next week, hopefully, with part two. So, Dread is on a roll on this second part. Uh, F3 rocks, Dread rocks, and you are going to love, love, love part two. Catch you guys next week. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself. 
be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. Hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others, join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others, have your buddies join, have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family as we engage in our journey and be intentional with it we can help others grow theirs as well we thank you again for listening we thank you for all your reviews look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show so dear god thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you in your name we pray amen have fun guys